Hey Adam, did you see if that groundhog, Punxsutawney Phil, saw his shadow? I sure did, and apparently he didn't see it. And you know what that means. Early spring! That's right, and you know what people like to do when they're outside? Exercise! Oh, but there's a problem. Yeah, I know, while they're exercising, if only they had something entertaining to listen to to help pass the time. Exactly! Have I got a thing for them? Our podcast, Double A Popcast, can be found on the following platforms. Anchor, Apple Podcast, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcast, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Stitcher, and Spotify. Whoa, so many places! I know, right? After they're done listening to our podcast, where should they go to follow us on social media? They should go to Twitter and Instagram. And what's our handle? Oh, that's easy. That's just our name spelled out. That's D-O-U-B-L-E-A-P-O-P-C-A-S-T. Double A Popcast. Wow, that's amazing. On to the show. Hey, Adam, did you see if that groundhog, Punxsutawney Phil, saw his shadow? Yeah, apparently. Wait a minute. Didn't we just do this bit? This week on Double A Popcast, Anthony and I discuss the idea of tone in film and television. Then we discuss our weekly watches. And we finish up with our first movie in our month of romance, Groundhog Day. Welcome back to Double A Popcast. Your weekly recharge. How are you doing, Anthony? I am... I always feel like... I say I'm doing well, but I am. I'm good. I'm in a good mood. You're a, you're a, you're a swell guy. Yeah, thank good. you. Swell or swole? Both. <laughs> you're too kind. Yes, yeah. Wow. I've been thinking about something lately what that I would about? like to talk to you about. Yes. So this idea of tone in mm. film. Mm-hmm. So something that, so the reason I bring it up is, so Aquaman came out recently. Yes. And I've heard, a, you haven't seen it yet. No. But I've heard a number of people say, that they feel like the tone shifts a lot in Aquaman. And they say that as a negative hmm. thing. And I was thinking about it, and I just don't know that that's such a bad thing. Yeah. Tone switches in, in movies. Um, no, I, I agree. Um, I know some people kind of got on Avengers Infinity War and Black Panther in particular, going with the Marvel films there, um... Infinity War in particular, where people were like, the tone of that movie was all over the place. It was like so dire, but then like they had time to make jokes during the Battle of Wakanda, where like Groot says like I am Groot, and then Steve and like Captain America's like I am Steve Rogers, and you know that joke of like then Thor mentioning Ah, oh, so you copied my beard, you know, and all that, mm-hmm. and it's my counter argument to that would definitely be. I think that that's just kind of how life is. Yeah. Like, you can be going along your day and have something really horrible happen to you. And then you might meet up with a friend for lunch later that day or dinner or something. And then you have a great, hilarious conversation and you're feeling much better. And no one ever lies down at the end of the day and they're like, hmm, the tone of my day was all over the place. (laughs) You're like, however that your day ends is typically how you feel, you know? Mm -hmm. You're like, you know, that was a pretty good day. Sure, there were a few, you know, downsides, but it was a pretty good day. Yeah, so, like, there there could be a movie where it's mostly a drama, but there were comedic be- bits yeah. within it. But at the end, you're feeling that drama piece. Exactly. Um, I, especially, I think of, like, 
a lot of Coen Brother films, um, No Country for Old Men, Fargo, um, The Big Lebowski. Mm -hmm. They all have a similar kind of, you know, dark, dramatic, comedic tone to them. Mm -hmm. But like No Country for Old Men, for example, you can have these really serious you know, thriller, drama, but still interject the comedy here and there. Yeah. And, but no one ever gets on them. They're like, oh, they're making, their tone's inconsistent. You know, it's, it's, um, I don't know. But I, I agree that people complain about inconsistent tone unless it's like, you know, coming this summer, you know, uh, a serious drama about something like, like a, certain topics I feel like you can't, have like a lighthearted tone about like you're not gonna find jokes being cracked or puns like in schindler's list or like you know um i'm thinking of other serious dramas you know but even like people think of as like these uh hollywood classics Mm -hmm. like casablanca for example i don't know if you've seen casablanca or not i haven't unfortunately um it's it's one of those movies that people think like, oh, it's this romantic, super serious war drama, but they still crack jokes like mm-hmm. left and right, and no one ever gets on those kind of movies for being inconsistent with their tone. Um, a lot of the complaints, at least I see, come from people if there's like a prior source material, and the tone of the prior source material is not being followed through within the reproduction. I feel like then there's, you know, people complain like, oh, the tone was inconsistent. But um, I don't know about what what, what other things um, with this tone topic, which I find fascinating, um, have you seen like in other movies that you can think of? One that comes to mind that probably doesn't help my argument is Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man 2. Okay. And... I heard complaints about that because you start off, it's kind of whimsical fun where Spider-Man is trying to stop this character who becomes the rhino from stealing all these vials of some substance. Yeah. And then later on it gets kind of dark and then at the end he shows up again. And then just saying that that is, the tone there is kind of all over the place. But again, like, to your you even said life is like that. And I, I feel that way. And I think that with any, with a lot of times when things get really dark, you need something comedic or lighter to come and slice yeah. things up. And you'll have episodes in TV shows where it gets lighter. Yeah. Things get lighter. Like there's that episode of breaking bad called the fly mm-hmm. that Ryan Johnston directed where the whole episode the two main characters are trying to capture a fly that's broken into the place where they're making meth. Yeah. Like their meth lab. Yeah. And no one ever gets on Breaking Bad for having inconsistent tone. No. And to your point about the American Spider-Man 2, for all the flaws that film has, which there are many, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, it's still, it felt like a Spider-Man movie to me, though. Mm-hmm. You know, Spider-Man fights goofy villains. You know, He's a high schooler. He's written primarily for high school, you know, college age people. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can be not saying that, you know, adults shouldn't read Spider-Man comics. His comics are for everyone. But, you know, the Green Goblin, Doc Ock, 
you know, the rhino, the lizard, mm-hmm. Killer Croc. Now, Killer Croc's DC, sorry. Um, Mysterio. They're all goofy characters, too. You know, and sure, maybe casting Paul Giamatti as a tatted up Russian Irish mobster was a bit weird, but it wasn't out of tone for Spider Man. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, that's why I. I didn't mind it in Spider-Man because I feel like he does run the gamut of having these really intense situations mm-hmm. like with where Gwen Stacy was captured by the Green Goblin mm-hmm. and also where he just, yeah, these he's making quips to yeah these and villains. You know, in that movie, of course, Gwen Stacy dies and it's almost due in part to Spider-Man's inability to save her and, you know, that's kind of a turning point for him but then at the end he comes back with this like renewed energy of like you know now i have something to fight for now you know i'm going to avenge her death mm-hmm. and like that that makes sense you know i never was sitting there like why is he so happy to go back and fight the villains after his girlfriend died i'm like well yeah i would be upset and if i was in his position i'd be upset but i would you know realize that just because this one thing happened doesn't mean the world stops. Yeah, you felt yeah. like that was earned. You resonated yeah. with what he was going through as a human because it seemed like real life. Yeah, in that sense. Yeah, so I, I think in that way, shifting tone can be honestly a benefit to movies. Yeah, and I, don't, and I think that honestly, like even if there are abrupt shifts, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. Like, why can't that just be a, a director's kind of um, what they're known for? Like how Shane Black is known for setting his movies at Christmas. J.J. Abrams uses a lot of lens flares. Mm-hmm. Kevin Smith has a ton of witty dialogue. Yeah. His movies are really dialogue heavy. Well, even... I think some movies suffer from a lack of tone shift. Um, and the one that comes to mind is the first two DC Universe films with Man of Steel mm-hmm. and especially Batman v Superman. Um, which I, I don't know if we talked on the podcast about this or in real life about this and in, in our uh, private life about this, but like Batman v Superman, it's a movie that takes itself too seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, you have Lex Luthor being portrayed as this like kind of goofy, almost Joker esque character, but you know, he's cracking these jokes, but the whole time it's like the super serious Oh, it's Batman. Oh, it's it's Superman. They're gonna they're gonna fight. Ooh. And then, you know, it's it's comical when they have their big climactic fight. The title of the film, when <laughs> um, Batman has Superman under his his foot, and Bat- Superman's like, "Save Martha!" And Batman just yelling at him like, "Why'd you say that name?" And it's <laughs> like, well, we're gonna pause the fight because. <laughs> You said your mom's name, not to mention there's like countless numbers of Marthas in the world. Did he mean Martha Stewart? Yeah. You know, like save Martha Stewart, mm-hmm. you know, like, and he just stuck there shining that name and it takes Lois Lane to show up to be like, it's his mom. It's like, oh, why didn't he just say that? You know, <laughs> but because the movie was taking it so self so seriously, it's like, gonna build this up oh my gosh oh man and then because you have this and same with superman of steel with a very consistent 
dark, gritty, kind of brooding tone. Mm-hmm. When Wonder Woman came out, it kind of ran the balance of it's lighthearted, but it's still, you know, it has that DC seriousness to it. Mm-hmm. And then when Justice League came out, it was all over the place. You've you've set you've like Zack Snyder set the the ship on the course of DC movies are dark, serious, gritty, and you know yeah. And you know, Wonder Woman was kind of like all right. It's kind of stark moments: World War One, the trenches, yeah. Hades having those flash forwards of World War Two and the Holocaust. Like oh man, it's, it's dark stuff. Right. Then Justice League comes around and. I have not seen Justice League, but from reading reviews and the clips I have seen, it took a very, like, Avengers kind of tone of, like, you know, kind of goofy, off-the-wall, you know, fun time with the pals type vibe. And I think that tone shifts in movies are good. And tone shifts to a degree within franchises are good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were actually chatting about this um, coming up to record this uh, segment here. Where in the Star Wars movies, the original trilogy, Star Wars, Empire, and uh, Return of the Jedi all have very different tones. And Star Wars is like a more of like a fantasy, space, sci-fi, opera type, you know... Whereas Empire is a much darker film. The Return of the Jedi is, you know, at times just downright goofy. But it all feels consistent because you have consistent characters who are acting pretty much the same way across all three films. Mm -hmm. But then you have the DC movies where you've set the tone of like, you know, these dark, serious characters, dark films. And then you flip it immediately and it's like, oh. This is a very different film. A very different franchise. Um, so, I kind of forgot my argument there. But <laughs> I think that tone shifts in film, like in Aquaman, mm-hmm. as you said, and Avengers and Black Panther and Star Wars, if it's within a single film, that's fine because that's life. That's just how things typically happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have tone shifts in film series but if you started off your film with like the definitive tone you know of you know this is how you're supposed to feel throughout this film this is the message we're trying to portray with this film like with this story we're trying to convey the emotion of you know sadness or happiness or hope or despair and you stick to that so hard and then you flip it you know halfway through that can be jarring Mm mm-hmm I think tone shift can happen anywhere, but be careful. But it's important to be careful of how you use your tone shift, and to what degree the tone is shifting. So. Okay, yeah. So, so I know that was a bit of a rant. I apologize. <laughs> so, yeah, I I, th- I think I get what you're saying. Character is consistent, then mm-hmm. it'll feel like real life, and it's fine. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I agree. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree. Cool. All right, now let's yeah. talk about our picks for the week. Yes. So our suggestions. Yes. Uh, would you like to start? Sure. Right. So one suggestion I have is a comedy series. It is called Letter Kenny. Mm-hmm. It's a Canadian comedy series, and it's just 
it's very quick-witted, fast-paced. It reminds me a lot of Kevin Smith's movies, like Clerks, mm-hmm. Chasing Amy, things like that. Just the, it's just so witty, and sometimes I'll actually have to rewind or like put the subtitles on or in order to catch everything. Really? Yeah, but it's just, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun series. It's yeah. about so it's about these, this um these farmers who live in Kentucky, and then there's some other characters like there's two hockey players okay. who they're honestly i think they steal the episodes that they're in there are the there are these um they're these like drug dr- the, they're like in their mid-20s i think but they're these druggy people who mm-hmm. kind of like run the drug trade in the town <laughs> and they give the town a bad name but they're they're pretty funny too so where does the name letter come from the town oh okay. so and the funny story behind this is that the two of the characters actually are the creators of the show. They're Jared Kiso and Jacob Tierney. They mm. they play and so they created the show, and it started with a Twitter account called Letterkenny Problems, and they did a couple little video clips with it, huh. and it just like caught on fire. And so in 2016, they received a deal to start a series about it. So it started off as like a fictional town in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. By these two Canadians, on Twitter. well, no, it's a it's a real town. Oh, it's a real town in Kentucky. Yeah. No, oh. no, in C- Canada. You said Kentucky. Did I say Kentucky? You did say Kentucky. Oh my gosh, Canada, not Kentucky. Because <laughs> you're oh. like, oh, it's a Canadian show about two guys in Kentucky. Oh, that that doesn't make any sense. Two Interesting. Guys, two. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hold on. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's a Canadian show. About a Canadian city okay. called Letterkenny. Gotcha. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> so it started off as a, a Twitter account about this actual town mm-hmm. called Letterkenny. Yeah. Letterkenny Problems was the Twitter account. And then this Twitter account basically became a real show. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. Isn't that pretty cool? That's a interesting adaptation. Yeah. Um, the ideas there at least did. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. I like that. And it's on Netflix, you said? It's on Hulu. On Hulu. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's six seasons, and they're all on Hulu now. Nice. I've seen the first two. Okay. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. You will. So, my recommendation for this week um, is it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's a Netflix original series um, called uh, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. Now, some of you might be familiar with um, the book series by the same name. Yes. And I loved those books in elementary school and junior high. Um, they're very much a, like, a child's first um, foray. Ex- foray. Let's say exposure, but foray makes more sense. Foray into, like, satire <laughs> and, like, That's a good point. Like, farce. Yeah. Um, so it's it's three seasons long. Um, it has um, about 20, it's 25 episodes long. Mm-hmm. Um, and each episode is like 45 minutes. So. And each episode is a book uh, in the series. Each uh, each book is two episodes. Oh, okay. Except for the last episode, which is an hour and a half long, and it's the final book. Okay. So um, the first season is books one through four. Mm-hmm. The second season is are books uh five 
through eight. Uh, yeah, eight. And no, nine through twelve. Uh, sorry, nine. And then season three is episodes ten through t- ten through thirteen. Okay. Um, and the basic premise, without giving too much away, because I will say, um, and I'll get to this as like my next point, but um, it's a great adaptation of the books. Um, the basic premise is that there are three orphans who are all uh, siblings, the Baudelaire orphans. Mm-hmm. Um, Violet, Klaus, and Sonny, and each one has like their own attributes. Like Violet's an inventor, Klaus reads anything and everything he can get his hands on, and Sonny, being an infant, is like she enjoys biting things because her teeth are coming in. <laughs> but it's talked about like how exceptionally sharp her teeth are, so she can like carve wood, like get through metal. With just her teeth. Um, it's very goofy, you know, off the wall um, humor. But mm-hmm. the basic premise is that these three children, um, their parents are killed in a fire while they're at a beach one day. Mm-hmm. And they are put into the care of their distant, 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 distant relative. Oh, whoops. Oh, knocked over water bottle there. We're all good. We're all good. Um, their distant relative. Um, named Count Olaf, who is this basically washed-up actor who is just a really mean guy. And he's Yeah, he's a distant relative of them. Mm-hmm. And it's played by uh, Neil Patrick Harris in the right. show. Um, and his basic goal is to get the Baudelaire's fortune because their parents were extremely rich. Um, and so Olaf's goal is to... Um, get the their um inheritance pretty much Mm -hmm. and it's never explicitly said if count olaf is the one who set the fire that burned down the baudelaire's house Mm -hmm. but it's heavily implied several times if he did or did not Mm -hmm. that kind of going off of our the tone conversation is the tones consistent in that a lot of the show is a mystery and all the books are mystery too yeah and there's recurring things like what does VFD stand mm-hmm. for? Yep. Um, VFD is revealed in the second season, but that those three letters keep popping up mm-hmm. in various ways. Um, but VFD is a big component. Another big component of the show is this sugar bowl, which holds some mystery. It's like an actual like, like a tea set, like a bowl that holds sugar yeah. that has some kind of mystery in it. Now, they do reveal what's in the Sugar Bowl in the TV show, but they never reveal what's in the Sugar Bowl in the books. So you're just kind of left in the books to be like, who knows? But all we know is that everyone wants to get the Sugar Bowl, but we don't know why. Yes, I do kind of remember. So I read the books, and Mm -hmm. I saw the movie that came out in 2004, Mm -hmm. which was not that great. No. (laughs) But I can't remember a lot. Like, I remember some big parts but i i don't i do remember the the sugar bowl but i Mm -hmm. again i don't i don't remember to the extent probably that you do yeah the i will say the 2004 movie with jim carrey as count olaf it was fine Mm -hmm. but in terms of adaptation it was very rough yeah the the first three books into one movie yeah and then they put the climax of the first book as the ending to the whole movie (laughs) <laughs> and it's like wait huh well, that how did wait i'm confused <laughs> yeah um but with the show 
Um, and the show, I think, is great, too, because it's an adaptation of the books. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think, you could stand alone by itself. The books are very self-referential. Mm-hmm. They reference that they're in a book series several times. Did you? Um, they're referential of, you know, I think that event happened last chapter. In or, the show they say that? In in the book they say that. Really? In the show. I that. Um, you know, in season three, someone's talking to one of the kids, and they're like, you've been through an awful lot. Oh my gosh. That's so, you know, so much bad stuff. You know, wouldn't you agree? And they're like, yeah, it's really bad. And then the infant who speaks in just kind of gibberish, she has mm-hmm. subtitles for her. Yeah. You know, someone's like, yes, it's been several years. Someone's like, it's been a very long time. Then Sunny, the infant's like, at least three seasons worth. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, that's great. And like at the end of the, episode, the second episode, which is the end of the first book, mm-hmm. Count Olaf is putting on this production. He's being interviewed by a newspaper reporter. And, um, you know, she's like, so how do you feel about an actor in, in modern day? And he's like, well, I find it to be quite a challenge, especially when, when competing with such big heavy hitters in the internet streaming television service, you know, <laughs> um, uh, field. Yeah. Referencing that they're on Netflix. Right. And then in the, the third episode, another character is like, they ask, like, oh, do you enjoy movies? Or like, actually, I enjoy watching them by myself in a binge format on a popular online streaming service. <laughs> and then look right at the camera. Oh, great. And so the book's self-referential. The show's very self-referential. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very... It's it's definitely for the whole family. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's, like, for kids to watch by themselves. Like, it was... It's a solid PG-13, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, because while there are goofy things, like people chasing a sugar bowl... <laughs> Or, like, VFD being, like, mistaken for, you know, vertical uh, funicular drop. Yeah. Where it's, like, a, a steep um, cable car. Or, like, village of foul devotees. <laughs> um, like, various different ways VFD can be spelled. You still have scenes where, like, an infant is dangling from a high tower in a cage. Or, like... Peep children could be dying because of, you know, exposure mm-hmm. in the cold. But uh, what is its IMDb rating? Because I thoroughly enjoyed it. The IMDb rating is 7.9. So pretty good. Pretty high. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Neil Patrick Harris does an outstanding job as uh, Count Olaf um, in the show. And there were actually a few times where I, I still have the books at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was home... Uh, visiting my my parents for a weekend and i sat down and watched an episode with the book mm-hmm. and i followed along like, in the book and you can almost follow along almost line by line no way that's the great. show it's oh, an amazing the actual author lemony snicket who is the pen name for daniel handler mm-hmm. he wrote he was like the head screenwriter on the production oh, so in the same way jk rowling helped write fantastic beasts mm-hmm. um daniel handler helped write this entire show. He actually makes several cameos um, in each season. And he's played by Patrick Warburton. So, yeah. So Lemony Snicket is a main character in the show. Who's played by Patrick Warburton. Most most people would know him as the voice of Kronk. Yeah. Um, in Emperor's New Groove. Um, but he plays a very, like, over-the-top, you know, somber character. Uh-huh. The books is a running joke where it's like, you should put this book down now for the contents within are too sad for one person to handle. <laughs> right. And so each episode, 
um, the theme song to the show was sung by Neil Patrick Harris, and the song is called Look Away. Oh, how, seriously? Like, you should not watch this show. And every episode starts with Patrick Warburton being like, I'm a lemony snicket. And while you're watching this show, I still don't understand. Well, the show you're about to watch is so dark, so depressing, it might make you cry. Yeah, I thought I remember Daniel Handler as Lemony Snicket doing that throughout the series. Did he have mm-hmm. a... Was there a subplot for Lemony Snicket? Yes. Because so, I feel like I remember something about a lost love or something like that. Yes. So each book starts with a short letter to this Beatrice. There's this mystery character. And uh-huh. the show is the same way. Each episode starts with like a um, like a mechanical typewriter. Like... To letter to Beatrice. Okay. Um, and if you watch the whole series, you'll know who Beatrice is. Okay. Um, but Lemony Snicket is both the narrator, like a fourth wall breaking narrator, mm-hmm. um, and also a main character in the third season. Oh, okay. Um, so it's the show is just very well put together. Um, it's directed by um, who is it? There might be different episodic directors. I believe each episode was directed by the same part. Let me see. I gotta look this up, so I want to make sure. But in general, because I kind of. I had a poor taste in my mouth. It says directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. Yes. Um, and he's done um, the Men in Black series, um, the Addams Family movies. Wild West. Wild Wild West, which I'm a huge fan of. And I know it's not a good movie, but Big, When Harry Met Sally, Enchanted, Misery... Um, so he's done some pretty good movies, um, but you said something about a sour taste in your mouth. Yeah, from the 2004 movie. I will say it's a far departure from the 2004 movie. Mm-hmm. Um, if you liked the books, you'll, I did. You'll love the show because, um, like I said, it's very much line for line. Um, it's very the tone of the books are kind of very satirical, over the top. Mm-hmm. especially the motifs of like adults not listening to the Baudelaire's when they're like we're being chased by a killer and they're like oh I'm sure you are <laughs> and like that kind of blatant you know ignoring of the children yeah. carries through and some pretty big names um, are in the show as well um, let me see here there let's see Catherine O'Hara is in the show. Um, I'm looking on the IMDb page as well. Um, oh. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara, um, the oh. voice. Oh, Joan Cusack. Tara Strong voices Sonny? She does, yes. Wow, she's a, she's a really prolific voice actor. She's voiced Timmy Turner. In Fairly Odd Parents, mm-hmm. Raven and Teen Titans, Batgirl and Batman mm-hmm. the Animated Series, like her list goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, Marina Bakarin, who played um Oh yeah. yeah. Was in Bakarin? 
uh Baccarin, yeah who is in um gotham gotham deadpool deadpool uh, firefly she's in there as well um but all the actors are great um i wouldn't say there's anyone who you know is a a no one is underperforming great um but yeah it's great all right i'm sold on it especially if you said you could it's pretty much just like the book it's awesome yeah so awesome well this week uh we are starting our month of romance Yes, um, love is in the air. You could say love is in the air, and uh, we finished our month of firsts. Um, had a great episode last week with Alien. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, but this week, um, to kind of tie the two months together, we've combined Groundhog Day and uh, a Valentine's Day, and you will, if you will, by watching a movie that celebrates both love. And Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the 1993 Bill Murray film. So, uh, yeah, stick around for our discussion of Groundhog Day. All right, Anthony. So we just watched Groundhog Day. What did you think? So this is my second time watching Groundhog Day. Oh. <laughs> I'd watched it for the first time at some point in high school. Mm-hmm. And I had I'd known the gist of it. But there were definitely parts that I didn't remember. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like watching it for the first time. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed it. It was um, it was not what I expected. What did you expect? I expected the... Like, I knew the basic premise of Bill Murray plays, like... I knew, like, a newscaster or weather reporter. Um, he's, like, stuck in this loop on Groundhog Day, reporting on Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um I was expecting it to go like off the wall like insanity after at the end like where he realizes like I'm stuck here. Like I thought it was just going to keep on going like more and more like how much can he get away with? Um then how did you how did you think it would end? Well, I didn't know if like it would be some kind of like, you know, grand whether it's like a, a bank heist or something where he's like he's seen everything. So he just knows everything, which we they kind of reference in the movie where he like knows everyone at the diner in the one scene. But I imagine it would get like a lot bigger and like a big grander kind of you know finale um, before the next day comes. But like what I'm still lost. Like what would happen in this finale? I don't know. I'm imagining like a giant explosion of some kind. What <laughs> I don't I, I don't know. So in this version, in the version that you were thinking of, yeah. does Bill Murray's character Phil become a better person or no? I had no idea. Honestly, I came into this movie with like no expectations other okay. than I think it's going to get crazier at the end. Yeah, but almost like the complete opposite happens. It's like halfway through is when he like. I guess his logic makes sense in, like, the groundhog is causing this. So he, like, kidnaps the groundhog in that chase scene. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he heads to the quarry and you that sign of, like, Nemitz quarry, quarry this way, I'm like, he's going to drive off the cliff mm-hmm. with the groundhog. Okay, he's going to kill himself and the groundhog, which he does. Um, and then just kind of, like, lands. I think I even said to you, I'm like, oh, okay. And then the explosion happened, and I'm like, oh, that's what I was expecting. And that's what I kind of thought, like, the movie would end with, like, that would happen, then he'd just wake up, and it would be the next day, and he'd be like, oh, like, I don't know. That's how you thought it would end? Or something like that. So it, he wouldn't, he would, in, you didn't think he would ever escape Groundhog Day? Either he would never escape Groundhog Day, or 
he would experience the death. Was, I don't know. Wow, so I, you were thinking of a bleak ending. I was <laughs> kind of thinking of a bleak ending. Because <laughs> I'm like, this guy's a jerk. There's no, like, redeeming qualities for him yet. At the beginning oh, at of the movie. at that point, yeah. I'm like, alright, even halfway through, he starts, like, killing himself in various ways. Mm-hmm. You know, um, getting, walking around of a uh, moving car, jumping off a building. Um putting the toaster in the bathtub mm-hmm. which also the it's almost like the bed and breakfast owner knew what had happened after the power surge which makes me wonder has this happened before in well, the bed I think, and breakfast i think she was putting two and two together like oh that guy took the toaster um, and now we're having this electrical outage i think she put two and two together okay because i'm like i guess like you can have electrical outages for anything i guess mm-hmm. um but it made it seem like the way she was kind of like, oh, oh. It's like she's recalling another incident where another disgruntled guest was like, well, time to kill myself. Let me grab the toaster. <laughs> it's like, oh, she's experienced this before. But that makes sense if, like, you know, as you put it, you know, grab the toaster. Yeah. What else could be happening? Yeah. Um, but no, it was uh, it was overall really fun. I liked it. Um, I think I mentioned to you at the about like three-fourths of the way in um, – that like this is kind of what I what I would be doing if I was in a situation where like, my day was going over and over and over. Yeah, you'd just be a jerk to people, you <laughs> kill them. You know, he goes rodent. Like, I just you know, I just, you know, wreak havoc, insanity. I like when he starts learning different languages, um, where he gets the piano lessons, he starts reading all these different books. Like that's what I would do is I'm like, you know, spent all this time you have to imagine of course you know, spoiler, he does end up breaking the cycle at the end in a very, I guess like this is the best version of Phil. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's leaving there with so much knowledge. Yeah. Like, he, he, he has like the greatest gift anyone could ask for is like, you just know everything now. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Because for a, a while, it, and something changed to me watching this movie. Because typically you think living a day over and over again would be hell. Mm-hmm. It would be the worst thing ever. Right. But then he walks away. You're right. Like, he he got the yeah. opportunity to gain all of these skills. Yeah. And I think it's kind of implied that he hasn't aged either. Right. So, like, imagine going to sleep one day, and then the next day, like, you know how to play piano perfectly, how to be an ice sculptor, read all these books, speak various languages, and you're just like, I can just do all this now. And he can just live his life carefree now assuming it doesn't happen again um i, I, I would hate to see a, would ground, you, yeah. a groundhog 2 <laughs> maybe yeah. like the day he dies and just keeps looping over and over oh. he's like a 95 year old man mm-hmm. um but like yeah it it was a it was a he got, he got off better than he started yeah um, he definitely did so there so i guess so the director was harold ramus yes and makes a cameo in the film. Yeah, do you know where? As the doctor. Yeah, yeah, good on you. Thank you. How did you know what Harold Ramis looks like? I've seen Ghostbusters. Oh, Hell. that's right. He plays one of the Ghostbusters. He plays, um... Is it Bankman? No, not Bankman. Um, the guy with glasses. Yeah. Tall, skinny guy. Yeah. Dark hair. I think, I, I think it was Bankman. I didn't... Okay, I forgot he was an actor, too. Yeah. Um, Harold Ramis, uh, Egon. Oh, Egon. Egon. Yeah. And he uh, died though. He died relatively recently. 
Um, yeah, he died in 2014. Uh. So, but yeah, I did not know. You see, I knew him as the actor in Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not aware that he was also a director. Yeah, he directed Multiplicity, too. Oh, which is, I think, I've another Bill Murray movie. Is it? I think so. Yeah. I know Michael Keaton and Andy McDowell, who Andy McDowell's in this movie, is in that. Yeah. But so the original idea was to have Phil live February 2nd mm-hmm. for 10,000 years. 10,000 years? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is that like how long it's supposed to have been? That was the original idea. The director, I'm pulling this from IMDb, the trivia page, yeah. said it was more like 10 years. But he said he okay. wanted it to be long enough where some real change could happen in a person. Yeah. And he felt like that was the amount of time that would be necessary. Wow, 10,000. I feel like if you relive the same day for 10,000 years, you, yeah, you would become the smartest person in the world. Probably. At least... Your knowledge of current events would extend. Oh, yeah. You know, with You'd like, be like a 48-hour bubble. After that, you're like, I honestly don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I can play the piano, and I can make an ice sculpture real well. I just don't know if I would go insane, if I would sink into depression, or if I would take advantage of it. You see, I feel like all of that would happen, because <laughs> I think I mentioned to you after um, he he, like, I can't remember what exactly happens now. Uh, but like he wakes up the morning that morning and he's feeling like good about himself. He's yeah, like, yeah, I'm, I can be a good person. And he like brings a coffee and like the pastries to the to Rita and Larry. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, he's into the acceptance phase of uh, like the five stages of grief. Yeah. Like he's like, I'm stuck here. I might as well be a good person. Yeah. I might as well live it up. So yeah, you likened it to the five stages of grief, mm-hmm. which I could totally see that happen if you're living the same day over and over again. You're yeah. trapped. No one else is. Mm-hmm. You're not like you're on a different wavelength than everyone else. Yeah, that, yeah, I could totally see that. Um, when you mentioned Larry, that got me thinking about something. I feel like a lot of times in these movies where there's a jerk, mm-hmm. I I can't give think of any examples right now. Maybe you can help me with this. Um, so Larry, Larry is like. He's kind of like a, a good guy. He puts up with Phil, but mm-hmm. then towards the end of the movie, they like, they make him kind of a loser in the butt of the jokes. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised by that because I'm like, oh, he's just an innocent guy. You know, he's trying yeah. his best. He's working hard, and then we see him in the bar with Nancy. Right, and it's like, oh, he's kind of, kind of gross. He's kind of scuzzy. Yeah, I don't really like him anymore. I feel like I and I can't think of a specific examples, but in these movies where someone changes, they have to make it's like oh this other guy we we don't like him we yeah. like the guy we who like was... our, our our hero now yeah yeah um, which kind of makes me wonder was Larry like that the entire time and now that we see Phil as such a good guy by comparison we're like man Larry does suck yeah we really I don't like Larry I think they just they had to make him a. F- I think Harold Ramis wanted to make him a, or maybe even the writers wanted to make him a foil at the mm-hmm. end, just to really hit home how much Phil has changed. Well, I think you kind of see that initially when um, Phil kills himself by jumping off the building, and Rita and Larry are there at the coroner's office. Yeah, and Rita's crying, and they unveil the body, and Larry's like, "Yep, that's him." 
Yeah, I really, I really, I really liked him. I really, really liked him. I'm like, all right, jerk. Someone just died. Your coworker is suffering through grief, and you're just gonna be like, yeah, he was kind of a jerk. You know, I mean, there are people in this world who I'm not a huge fan of, and if they died, I'd probably still be upset. You know, yeah. oh my gosh, they, that's horrible. Because not you're not the only one affected by it. It's not like, oh, thank God, my enemy's out of the way. Yeah. It's like, they had a family, they had other friends, <laughs> you know. Well, was that, was that Phil, or was that Larry trying to be nice and overplaying it? Was that him just being... super sarcastic i think it was a combination of both where he's like i have to put on a good face but at the same time i really don't care about phil (laughs) that's the way i kind of read into it as i was like okay larry might not be a good guy after all yeah also the other thing i was thinking about there's so many times where phil and amy mcdowell's character rita Mm -hmm. go and like have coffee together breakfast together do something together why are they excluding Larry? Yeah. I, don't get it. <laughs> I think Larry was probably packing up the equipment, preparing for them to leave. Because every uh, time they're together, he's like, You guys ready to go? Yeah. You gotta get ahead of the storm. So maybe Larry's packing up Rita's stuff. I don't know if they like stayed in like opposite rooms. Uh, that so I've worked as part of a television crew before. I interned for mm-hmm. a talk show for a year. So would you say you're more Phil or Larry? <laughs> I'm more Rita, I'd say. Okay. I, I I don't know. I think that's crappy to just make the make the camera person just clean that stuff up. Yeah. It happens though. Yeah. It does. Um, some other points I want to talk about are that this is Michael Shannon's first film appearance. Really? Yeah. Okay. So when we were watching this, it was funny. Um, I said to Adam, so Mac- Michael Shannon in this movie plays. A person who's getting married on Groundhog Day, which there are a lot of things that I wonder about that. Because it first shows him and his fiance at this diner in the morning. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, okay, so they're getting married during a weekday. And yeah. also they have enough time in the morning that they're just casually at a diner. Yeah. Like, if it's your wedding day, aren't you going to be a little bit more panicked? Yeah. Or have things to do? Yeah. Like, and spend time with family in town or something? Or I don't yeah. know. And the fact that Phil had the time to talk the fiancé out of not ditching at the wedding, I'm like, how much time is in this day? Because you need a lot more time to talk someone out of getting, like, leaving a wedding. Yeah, I guess, though, if you've had the conversation before, mm. you then know the points to hit. That's true. Or what they're going to say. So maybe he, he really was able to expedite that conversation maybe. by the end. Yeah, he said, like, this one sentence of, like, your boyfriend really loves you and he will do anything for you and... And just something really hit home for her. And she's like, oh my god. Yeah, that's what I've been worrying about. Oh. I don't have to worry anymore. Oh, wow. But the point when I recognized him it was at the end when they're at the party. And mm-hmm. he's acting all excited. I'm like, wait a second. I know that person. Oh, snap. It's the actor who played Zod in Man of Steel. Yeah. And um, this is the first movie that we're watching um, in our, our month of romance, if you will, uh, for February. And next week... We'll be watching Shape of Water, and Michael Shannon also appears he does. in Shape of Water. So maybe we'll just make this Michael Shannon month as well. <laughs> a month of romance with Michael Shannon. <laughs> um, but it, it that was one thing that I found really interesting, is the romance that Phil has with the various women. Mm-hmm. So the first person, he's kind of like, you know what? I can do whatever I want now. He... He flirts, first kind of flirts with Nancy, mm-hmm. um, who 
he it's the most jerk move he's like where'd you go to high school uh lincoln and uh who's your english teacher mrs walsh got it cool and the next day, ah, oh, it's me, Mrs. Walsh, 12th grade, actually, Lincoln High School. And, like, you know, there are people in my life who've come up to me and said the same kind of stuff. And I'm like, I wonder. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> They're just trying to get with you. <laughs> no, just like, I wonder if, if they too are experiencing the same day over and over again. <laughs> Um, well then that would be wouldn't that be the implication then if they're living the same day the reason they're saying that to you oh. is to try to get with you <laughs> it could just be like a nice person you know trying to get to know me why would know. a random person do that though I'm a nice guy <laughs> I just want to be friends with this person <laughs> maybe I thought that was kind of ridiculous though when he so he's making out with her and he says Rita's name yeah and she's and Na, Na, or Nancy Nancy yeah. thank you <laughs> Called her Nexi. <laughs> I was thinking Natalie. I was mixing all them okay, together. Okay, fair, fair. Couldn't spit it out. <laughs> and then she's she like breaks away because she can tell that he's thinking of another person. Yeah. And then he decides that he wants. And then he says he wants to marry her. And then yeah. she's all over him. Real people don't act like that. No, especially no. to strangers. Yeah. And then every time we see Nancy afterwards, she's like grossed out or weirded out by him mm-hmm. which i'm like did she also remember <laughs> oh my gosh but then the next time we see phil he steals a bunch of money mm-hmm. buys like a high-end mercedes and is then dressed like clint eastwood from the good the bad and the ugly yeah and the girl who he's with i think is, i also recognize that actress yeah by the way. who is not nancy is dressed like some like a scantily clad french maid and then he, like, goes up to the ticket booth um, at the movies and is like, uh, one adult and uh, one... And the she leans and is like, uh, two adults? And I'm like, dude, how old is this person that he had to second guess whether she was an adult or not? <laughs> That's kind of... Uh. Also, I don't understand the, like, good and the bad and the ugly costume. Because mm-hmm. it's just like... Why? Well, I get the car. I get yeah. the car. But he comes out and he's, you know, with the poncho and the cigar and the hat and all that. And I'm like, why? Why would you? Okay. That's fine. It's a little weird, <laughs> but whatever. Have you found the actress? Well, so I I think it's Leslie Bibb. Okay. From Talladega. Oh, nope, it's not. It, she's She isn't, she isn't credited, at least. Let's see. It looked kind of like her. It looks like her first. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it was her. Dang it. Usually, so this is this is a weird skill that I pride myself on, is I can always tell an actor or actress that I recognize, mm-hmm. and I can figure out where I've seen them before. Even, okay. Even people in real life, too. I'll be like, I know that person. Ah, so I had the history with them. Is uh, Sandy Mashmeyer, ah, and she was in Groundhog's Day, and Ghoulies Three. <laughs> Ghoulies go to college. Are you familiar? <laughs> is that where you first saw her? I'm a huge fan in, of the Ghoulies franchise. Ghoulies Three. The Ghoulies go to college. Oh my gosh! Okay, so the Ghoulies are like these little monster things. You, We're looking at pictures right now. Are you, what? Mm, I don't think 
This is where you <laughs> saw her. Have you ever heard of this franchise? Nope. Really? There were at least three? Apparently. Oh my gosh. Hold on. How many <laughs> ghoulies? Ghoulies go to college. Movies are there. Oh, also, man. I don't think that these kind of monsters would be like found in like you know, four. there's four ghoulies. There was ghoulies. Okay, ghoulies so two, ghoulies three, ghoulies go to college, and then just ghoulies four. So one of the images that came up when he when Adam searched how many ghoulies movies are there is a little green monster coming out of a toilet while wearing suspenders and a blue t-shirt and a blue t-shirt. I'm very confused. <laughs> what is that? I've never oh, heard of these mo- movies before. I am very confused. Anyway, back ghoulies. to Groundhog Day. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird film because I mentioned this like, as a point I was getting back to, uh, I mentioned earlier is he eventually ends up having, or having to romance, not having to, but he ends up, uh, romancing Rita. Mm-hmm. And one that I have to kept getting through my mind is like, every time we see them do the same scene, he's had to get her to this point that morning. Mm-hmm. Like he got to the point of her... Like, building the snowman with him that morning. He was able to push her that far. And then, ultimately, and this is, I think, like, the coolest, like, oh, he's finally a good person. Is like, by not being, you know, by being overly romantic, not being like, oh, I gotta, fake. gotta do, not trying to be fake. And just being a good person, that's what ultimately ends up getting him with Rita. Yeah, because... It- one of the funniest parts in the movie is where you could tell he's just trying to expedite this romance where, where they're building a snowman. He's like, <laughs> and he's like talking so fast. And um, so in the past, like they've had banter about these different things mm-hmm. and he's just like bulldozing through that. He's like, yeah, I got this at the snowman shop. Oh, oh kids. I want to have kids. Oh, are you, are you kids yeah. for, adop- for adoption? He's like, I want to have 10 kids, 11 kids, adopt kids, foster kids. Yeah. Hey, you kid, you kids up for adoption. <laughs> it's like, uh, that real awkward, just like I, I don't feel com. Is there an adult? Please help. Yeah, but the, uh, the being inauthentic, it didn't work. It didn't. Um, it's a lesson for you folks. Yeah. Um, this script. I so there's a short story called Christmas Every Day. Okay. Where and so this Groundhog Day theme, I can name at least five Christmas movies right off the bat that do the same thing, where it's a person mm-hmm. living christmas day mm-hmm. over or christmas eve over and over and over again mm-hmm. and there's a short story that came out i think in the early 1900s or the late mm-hmm. 1800s called christmas every day and i wonder if the idea for groundhog day came from that mm. well i know that there is this is not sound so weird there is a sesame street christmas special mm-hmm. where elmo was able to get a wish mm-hmm. and elmo wished that every day was christmas and um, that was the first time this kind of concept I remember in my childhood. Oh, yeah. Where eventually Santa has to come to Elmo and is like, if every day was Christmas, then nothing, like, Christmas would be special. Yeah. In fact, it only comes once a year, so it makes it so special. Um, and then I know later on in life, there was a Fairly Odd Parents episode mm-hmm. where Timmy wishes every day was Christmas. And then they're like, our eggnog shortages. And, like, no one can get, like, everyone's <laughs> poor because no one has gotten back to work yet. Yeah. And so the economy tanks as every day is Christmas. But everyone's cognizant that every day is Christmas as well. Yeah. Um, but what made this one so, this, this movie so unique is that only Phil is the one who's cognizant 
that there's this change going on. Yeah. Um, and I thought he was going to get, like, real violent with some of the characters. Like, I was like, is he going to push that man he sees at the beginning of the day, like, down the stairs? <laughs> is he going to, like, punch... I even forgot his name. I've said it so many times. The the insurance guy. Oh, oh Ned. Ned. Ned Royton. Something like that. Oh, his last name. <laughs> Ned! <laughs> oh, am I right? Am I oh, right? that's right. He does right? say his last yeah. name. Yeah. Ned something. Um, uh, needle nose Ned. Uh, he did the, the, the whistling belly button trick. I'm like, oh, this is gross human. <laughs> um, and I... I remember I leaned over to you the first time we saw this guy, and I was like, man, people in late 80s movies were so insufferable. And then you told me it was 1993, and my first, first thought was, oh, dear God. <laughs> Yikes. Just, uh He was the one character I'm like, I'm surprised Phil didn't, like, kill him at yeah. some point. Like, push him in front of a truck or something. But when I first saw him, like, I thought he was going to get hit by a car. Yeah. He's in the middle of the street. For no reason. Yeah. He's just kind of there. It's like he was just like set up for like, his cue. Like, okay, so your friend's going to walk around the corner. So you see him just act really excited. Like, okay. All right. Oh, Phil! Oh, Phil! You know, he's just standing there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, Phil was going to see him and then get hit by a car. Yeah. And then eventually he would, like, go and save him. Uh, That's what I thought was going to happen. Because, like... No, nah, he just bought insurance from him. All the insurance. All the insurance. Plus the death and dismemberment. Which is optional. Optional. <laughs> the optional death and dismemberment yeah. package. So I feel like Ned's character <laughs> is now like what the tool bag character is today. Like, you know, mm. the unlikable tool bag in oh, comedies. Yeah. It's definitely, this is a, a good kind of case study in the um, evolution of the annoying character. Where mm-hmm. in the 90s and 80s, it was that kind of like, like a nerdy Point Dexter kind of, oh, hey, guys, kind mm-hmm. of like a Steve Urkel. Yeah. And now we've kind of gone to, they can still be like a nerdy character, but it's like a tech a tech guy where it's like, yeah, I got the latest uh, the iPhone. Fly, is that what you Fly think? my drone around. <laughs> That's how I see it now is like, okay. this is our kind of that douchebag yeah. jerk character. They can still be like, you know, oh, did you hear, like, the latest, you know, about whatever technology or, like, oh, you know, my new 3D Octa HD uh, 4K TV came in. And it's like, wow, I don't care. Yeah, I think it's, like, a rich dude who thinks he can get with all these women. That That's today. Yeah. And it's just kind of interesting how, like, clearly Ned is, like, a good person, though. Mm-hmm. But he's just so... Ugh. It's a bit much. A bit much. <laughs> also, I have questions about the Groundhog's Day holiday in general. Um, what questions? So, do they, like, keep Punxsutawney Phil? Because it's been his name since, I'm guessing, 1887. Because mm-hmm. when they enter Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, it says, like, the original um, weather center since 1887 or something mm-hmm. like that. Um do they keep him, like, they they put him in a cage later mm-hmm. to transport him somewhere else? Do they just have, like, a groundhog reserve outside of Punxsutawney that they're like, who wants to be Phil this year? And they just, like, pick a groundhog, <laughs> and they're just like, put him in the stump, and then we, like, put him in there for a bit, and then we, like, knock on it, and then we're like, hey, it's, here you are! And, like, I've never seen, like, a live, I know sometimes, I think I've seen the Weather Channel will, like, do a live stream mm-hmm. of uh, Groundhog Day, which was, as of recording this yesterday, um, today is the Super Bowl. 
Um, we can't say that. Oh, the big game. The big game. Who's won? Who's to say? <laughs> Who's to say? Um, but but yeah. Um, but uh, I don't I don't know. It's just a, a strange concept. Like who in 1887 was like, you know, I don't know if we're gonna have spring soon or we're gonna be heading in for a longer winter. Yeah, I don't know. Who should we ask? So that's that groundhog. Oh, how should we? How do we know if he if it's gonna be winter? I don't know. Like he sees a shadow or not? Cool. Like who came up with this idea? I don't know. That'd be interesting to research the history of that. Yeah, idea it, though. It's so so strange. Um, much like this movie. Yeah. Um. Uh, Wait, you think the movie's strange? Oh. <laughs> It's a very normal film. Uh, nice one of the mill '90s uh, drama comedy, a dramedy, if you will. It is, or 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 a comma. Yeah. Or comma. Well, you mentioned that your first media where the, a character lived the same day was that Almo. Yeah. One, I don't remember that. My first I remember was a 2006 ABC Family original Christmas movie that came out called Christmas Do Over. It okay. was with Jay Moore, and. His love interest in that movie was the actress from Spaceballs who played the Princess Leia type character. Oh, yeah. I don't know her name. But, yeah, that's um, a Christmas do-over. Oh, wow. Christmas do-over. Yeah. So, it's a similar thing. Okay. And it's it's actually one of my favorite of the, like, Hallmark, ABC Family, Freeform, Lifetime original movies. Yeah. Because it's, it's the same thing. Okay, so, to your point about you thinking Bill Murray would get more violent. Yeah. Jay Moore gets more violent in this one. So, okay. So, he, the story is, it's Christmas Day. He has been divorced from his wife for a couple years. They have a son together. Okay. And his he go on Christmas Day, he spends Christmas with his, wife's fa- his ex-wife's family. Okay. So, he goes to... Uh, her parents, his ex-in-law's house. And on this day he goes, she shows up and she has a new boyfriend. Mm. And so part part of what he does, he becomes even more of a jerk like Bill Murray does. Mm-hmm. And he, the guy's name is Todd and he keeps uh, coming up with ways to injure Todd. So. Oh! <laughs> like he, pour, he pours um, like this detergent or something out on the front porch and Todd slips and he is he's all he's like in a cast and on crutches and he steals Todd's um at Christmas dinner he gives this like beautiful poem Mm. and he completely steals that makes Todd look insane huh weird it's a fun but he becomes a better person by the end okay just like this one I'm I'm a sucker for those kinds of movies where a character becomes better like a character development more of like a character piece. Yeah. Would you say the Groundhog Day is a character piece? I think so. Yeah. And I, it, it's a story of redemption. Yeah. Um, it's it's fun, but one thing I don't get is it's like, all right, so yeah, he's a jerk newscaster. Mm-hmm. And he's been doing this for so many years. Yeah. But like, why him? You know, it's like nothing, there's no explanation as to why this is happening. Yeah. It just kind of does. Oh yeah, um, 
Like, it's not like he, you know, kicked some old lady's, you know, coffee cup over at a diner on the way out. And yeah. she's like, I curse you to live the same day for ten years! And he's like, mm, whatever, lady. Okay, then you would love any of these Hallmark or original Christmas movies where there's a, the repeating because it explains it. Like, Christmas do-over, his son makes a wish. Okay. Twelve Dates of Christmas. Um, I think, I forget, there's, yeah, there's a movie called Twelve Dates of Christmas. Okay. It's with, um, oh no, it's with an actress who, she was in Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds. Uh She has blonde hair. Also, it's her love interest, the person who she goes on dates with, is the guy from Saved by the Bell, who plays Zach. Audrey Dwyer? Amy Short. It's Amy Short. That's her name. And his name is... If you go on IMDb, you'll find it. Yeah, let's see here. The, anyways, the guy who plays uh, Zach and Saved by the Bell. Mark Paul Gossler. Mm, yeah. Yes. Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a weird, like, it's a great concept. But it's just so, like, I don't know. Like, it's not overdone, but it was kind of predictable to me at the end. That he would change? That eventually I'm like, alright, we've already peaked at, you know, um, high rates of jerkness, <laughs> douchebaggery, um, that now, you know, okay, now he's going to be a good person. Yeah, because there's a science phenomenon that explains mm-hmm. that. Like, once you reach peak douchebaggery, yeah. you, come, you have to come down. And- exactly. If you go too far, then you go into, like, authoritarian dictatorship, and most people don't even reach that. Yeah. Um, that'll happen for a few people. Oh, and then at um, that point you don't come back down? You just stay. You're you stuck. transcend. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're you're either killed in a military coup, or you die peacefully in your sleep. Got you it. only get one or the other. Okay. Um. <laughs> so I have more room to become a jerk, is what you're saying. You, more you, jerk room. You have room. plenty of time. We'll work on it. And then I'll come back. Yeah. Um... But, but yeah, I overall, love the movie. I love some of the, um, I guess, running jokes. There was one moment where I was like, this movie got real emotional real quick. What? Is where you have the the old man, the ho- homeless oh, man. yeah. And, like, Bill Murray, or Phil, um, like, he's turned this guy down every day. And then one day he, like, gives him a bunch of money. And um, he treats him, like, to lunch. And... Takes him to a hospital, and then he dies of old age, and this happens like several more times. And then there's a moment where Phil, like, you know, I think this is the turning point for him. Is yeah, I think so the, too. He he tries to resuscitate the guy like with CPR, and he's just dead. Yeah, and he kind of looks up, and I think he's kind of seeing like, I can change things, like immediately or initially, but some things I just can never change. And well, so it's not worth... Well, yeah, because the nurse even says... Because he's asking... he's He wants to see this man's chart. And mm-hmm. It's implied to find a way to save him. Yeah. For his future days where he lives Groundhog Day. Yeah. But the nurse just says, some people just... They just die. Like, there's yeah. nothing... There's no reason for it. It just no. happens. No. I think that's... To your point, I think the message he gets there is to live take advantage of each day yeah be the best he can be so yeah. i do agree that that's his turning point i think the next morning then he brings the pastry and the coffee and mm-hmm. he even gets like a coffee order right and all that yeah um but i will say i'll have to try uh a sweet vermouth 
on the rocks with the I quest. know. I was about to like I wrote that down. I'm I'm literally going to try that. That's next, that sounds great. Next time we go and grab drinks, we'll have to try it. Exactly. Uh, we'll report back. Yeah. Uh, some other points that I wanted to talk about were Harold Ramis originally wanted Tom Hanks for the role of Phil, but then he oh. thought Tom Hanks was too nice. Yeah, I can't see Tom Hanks. I mean, Tom Hanks is a bit of a jerk in like Toy Story. Um, you think Woody? Uh, yeah, Woody's I a guess. jerk initially in the yeah. first movie. He's he tries to kill Buzz, <laughs> and you're like, I don't know if he's a jerk. <laughs> he tried to kill someone. I mean, he was a toy, but still. Well, that again, that's another that's another example of the phenomenon. The peak douchebaggery happened. <laughs> yeah, and then he turned back. Good guy. Yeah. Um, I will say I can definitely see Tom Hanks in this role, mm-hmm. but I think Bill Murray is just so unique in his acting and his just the way every Bill Murray performance I think is great. I'm a big Bill Murray fan. Yeah. Um, also, Bill Murray doesn't have an agent. He doesn't. He has a voicemail set up that you. What you do is you call, you pitch him a movie, and he'll listen to it, and if he likes it. He'll contact you. Really? Bill Murray does not have an agent. Yeah. Wow. He just has a voicemail box that he listens to with Did like all these producers and directors pitching in movies. He's such a fascinating person. Have you ever heard about people's experience with Bill Murray where oh, yeah. like a, lo- a little girl will be eating an ice cream cone and he'll take yeah. a bite out of it and he'll say, no one no will believe, believe you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently there's a documentary that... Like on think, Netflix. Yeah. About people's encounters with Bill Murray. Yeah. And it's like... Bill Murray's in there, and he's like, "Yeah, this some of this stuff happened." And it's like, "What?" I I huh? think I would if I was in that position, I might live like that a little bit. My my favorite well, one topic of Bill Murray, he played, he was voiced uh, Garfield. Oh, in the right. live action Garfield the movies, CG ones. Unfortunately, were... yeah. Um, he only signed on because the director, the last name of the director was Cohen, mm-hmm. and he thought it was one of the Cohen brothers. Really. And he's like, oh, a Coen Brothers take on Garfield. I'm in. Oh. And then he got there. He's like, sponsored by Nickelodeon Films. Huh? <laughs> what did I oh, do? no. I should have done my research. After this is signed. why you need an agent. Exactly. That's an example. Yep. And I guess Michael Keaton was asked to play the role, but he didn't quite understand the movie after reading the script. So can, he turned it down. I can see Michael Keaton doing it more than I can see Tom Hanks doing it. Yeah, I could too. I feel like you're getting more down there. But yeah, um, um, yeah. What was I about to say? Bill Murray. He he also plays a character like this in Scrooged. I have not seen Scrooge. You haven't seen Scrooge. I've not seen Scrooge. But I know he's in it. I know yeah. it's like a modern day version of uh, a Christmas Carol. You'll have to see so. it. He's also he plays a character like that in that mm. movie. Did, oh, some other things I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that in the hospital scene where mm-hmm. Bill Murray, where Phil brings in the old man who ends up dying that there's a boy in a leg cast like he has a broken leg and that's the boy who he saves falling oh, from the tree nice. you see later yeah interesting i will say one thing that i kind of picked up on is like maybe like a the world talking to him as at the bowling alley they have like this scrolling text that's above mm-hmm. and you just see um don't forget going across really and i'm like hmm interesting so it was like the world was t- talking to Phil, like, don't forget. Do this again. Don't forget. Like, learn. Mm-hmm. Learn from what's happened from exactly. this experience. Yeah. Oh, nice. So I was writing down all the skills he gained. And let's see if I missed any. I, write, okay. I wrote ice sculpting. Yep. Piano. Yep. 
back doctor there's a term for that um chiropractic 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 chiropractics he he learned chiropractics yeah throwing cards into a hat yeah italian yeah i think french too do you think you'd learn french because he kind of quotes it when uh, other i was just quoting like just that one french poem to rita because that was her major was 19th century french poetry yeah i read that scene as she had brought up that poem before Um, and so he just he just regurgitated it yeah in this new day where she hadn't said that yet gotcha um, but maybe maybe he did learn French. Yeah, yeah. I think any that's... other skills? Um, bank robbery. <laughs> learned that. Um, he learned a lot about everyone. Yeah, but in, the, in terms of skills, I think those are like the big ones. I mean, he could go off and be a successful pianist now. Like he could. He could just he do, do a that. lot of things. Yeah, you know, it's uh, Phil. What's his? What's his last name? I forget. Phil, not Phil Collins of the future. Phil of the future. <laughs> Um, you know, Phil, the world-renowned ice sculptor pianist. I don't know his last... Oh, he, they do say his last name. Several Phil times. Scott or something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, yeah. So the last thing I have to talk about this before we wrap up here is recently, about two years ago, um, Groundhog Day was made into a musical on Broadway. <laughs> and I wish I was kidding. But apparently it was quite successful. It was up, I think, for a Tony for Best Musical. Oh, then why do you wish you were kidding? Because it's such a strange concept. <laughs> um, but Bill Murray went and saw it like ten times. Like yeah. front row. He like bought the tickets. He's like, I've got to go see this show. Over and over and over. There's actually a picture. So I can find it for you here. Um, at the show. And he has like tears in his eyes. Really? Watching it. Um, yeah. Let's see. Bill Murray at Brown. Musical. Yeah. Um, where is it? Yeah, he's like, you can see him like tearing up, like looking at. Ah. Yeah. So they have some of the original cast there. Um. Oh my gosh, his brother looks really old now. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, they. Uh, he went and saw it, and. You <laughs> have know. you heard any of the songs? I've not. Um, I'm not really a big fan of unless the musical I know I'm not be able to list, like see it. Yeah. Uh, listen to the soundtrack is the only thing to be spoiled. Um, but yeah, I uh, I'll definitely have to listen to it. Um, but that's cool. When yeah. I, I I like it when artists like that. I don't know. That's cool to me that he was moved to tears because I feel like sometimes you hear about artists who like get burnt out. Like there there was this. There's this quote in the movie The Greatest Showman mm-hmm. where Hugh Jackman's character of P.G. Barnum. P.G. Barnum is talking to this uh, theater critic. Yes. And he's, he says something because the theater critic gives a dig to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then P.G. Barnum says a theater critic who who can't find joy in on the stage like who's who's the real oh what's the word you use like hypocrite who's a real hypocrite or something like that yeah i know what you're talking about yeah, yeah yeah and i was like yeah that's so true because i even i want i once had an improv instructor who said he couldn't really enjoy improv anymore because he he got too into like un, like the little critiques he's like 
now when I watch improv, I'm thinking, oh, they have to do this. They have to do this now. Like, that's huh. that's too bad. Like, it, honestly. It shouldn't be like that. It really shouldn't. And, like, you know, I think for Bill Murray, Groundhog Day was such, like, a, a milestone for him as an actor. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like it would take a lot of skill, not only to be, like, a background character, to say your lines again perfectly for each take, um, but for Bill Murray to do something so as i mean you and i have both done theater in the past memorizing lines memorizing lines for similar scenes and getting that confused that must be of course i know film actors typically don't rehearse or memorize all their lines at once right but still that must be so like impressive to memorize those lines and do them deliver them so well um but yeah so it's a broadway musical i don't know if it's running anymore um but, yeah. Oh, it says on there it's ending in May 28th, so I'm guessing that's not this May. No. There's already this. Uh, looks like... Oh, 2017. 2017. Yep. Okay. So. Neat. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I also noted... So, Annie McDowell... Mm. I remember when I first saw this movie, I only knew Annie McDowell from my mom's magazines, where she was always featured as for, some, like, Maybelline or some makeup. Uh-huh. Like, oh, she's also an actress. And now I know her. I feel like she always plays this role of this in the Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah. She's always like the person who owns a diner in a small town. And she uh, teaches yeah. the, the the person who's the like the grumpy business person from the city. How yeah, to, like, how the to small town appreciate values. the small town. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, you come out here from your big city, and you want to come in here and tell us how to live our lives. Well, don't you just slow down, mister. Well, never that mean. But, but you know, that's the gist of most Hallmark Christmas movies, if we're going to be honest. <laughs> that is the gist. It's just, I'm a big businessman. Mm, I'm businessy. Or it's a big businesswoman. I'm a big businesswoman. Mm. Most of them are business, the businesswoman, and then it's and the then, man like, who lives in the small town. You know, the country boy is like... Well, let me show you the slow pace of laugh around. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I don't have time. I have they're meetings like, and you schedules take... to stick to. And they're like, we don't even use our phone. We And, and they're always surprised that this man has taken the time to plant a Christmas tree and watch it grow and yeah. nurture it. He's like, I planted this tree when I was five years old. And it's like, <laughs> why? What if you could be doing something so much better with your life? And then, you know, it's like Christmas dinner. She's like, I'm sorry, I'm getting a call from the boss. I gotta go. And they're like, if only she would put down that phone for once and look at all the good things she has. I know. And it's like... They really put that in your face in uh, those movies. I don't know if it's those movies that got to me, but there was a point in time, I think it was towards the end where Phil was... You could see how much he was impacting these people's lives and the relationships he was building with them. I was thinking like, oh, but he's a, if he ever gets out of Groundhog Day, he doesn't live here. I'm like, I, I kind of, like, wouldn't he want to stay? And I'm like, at me as a viewer, I wanted him to stay. And he does. And at I'm the like, end, he yeah. says that. I'm like, oh, He's God, like, let's, yes. let's live here. Let's move here. And then he's like, we'll start off renting. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, it was, it was sweet. I liked it. It was sweet. So, well, that's all I have for the movie. Anything, any last bits you want to talk on, talk about before we uh, wrap this up? No, just that it's an enjoyable movie. It I, is. I think I should make this a yearly watch around Groundhog Day. Around Groundhog Day? Yeah. And then see what else you can pick out each year and write down things you noticed. You had yeah. noticed the, night, the year prior. Yeah, the only other thing that I wanted to add was... So there's a little montage where Bill Murray's waking up to that song by Sonny and Cher at mm-hmm. 6 a.m. with his alarm clock. 
and you see him breaking his alarm clock in a variety of ways. Yeah. In the scene where he throws the alarm clock on the ground, yeah. it didn't bust it as much, so they had crew members hit it with a hammer, and it actually played the music like you heard. So, oh, wow. Isn't that great? I was like, all right, what kind of, that's fun. Actually, interesting. love when, like, practical stuff like that just happens. Yeah. And like, keep rolling, keep rolling, it works. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right. Well, next week we'll be continuing our month of romance with uh, Guillermo del Toro's Academy Award winning for Best Picture, Shape of Water. Yeah, this will be the first time I've ever seen that movie. So so good. I am excited. Awesome. All right. We'll see you all next week. Noise! All right, Anthony. So we just watched Groundhog's Day. What do you think? What? What? No! No!